Welcome to Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Stephen Caradini. And I'm Chris Kreitcho. And today we're going to talk about Apple. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, smartwatches, uh, big phones. <sighs> but you would be wrong, because here at Winning Slowly, we never do the thing that you expect us to do. And so today we're going to talk about the iPod Classic. You might be thinking, wait, they didn't announce a new iPod Classic. And you're right, they didn't. Not even a little bit. And Stephen is very, very sad slash angry. I am, I am upset is a good word. Because not only did they not announce a new iPod, they totally killed the iPod Classic. You can't buy one from Apple anymore. Now, of course, you can still buy them from Amazon and eBay and resellers, et cetera, et cetera. They're not completely dead off the market yet. But in general, there's no more iPod Classic. And you may think to yourself, why is this a problem? We're going to tell you, or at least I'm going to tell you. And then Chris is... <laughs> Steven's going to tell you, and I will slightly disagree, and it'll be a fun time. And Chris is going to disagree with me, yeah. So, but anyway, so yes, Apple had their big release event, and they did not introduce any new iPods, which means that we only have a maximum of 64 gigabytes of information on iPods, which, if you're a professional music journalist, is not enough, because you have more than that. Um, so at this point, if my iPod classic dies, I can't buy an iPod that will have enough storage space for all of my stuff. And that's at a basic level, very frustrating because I have between 65 and 80 gigabytes, depending on how you count and clarify of music. And that's important to me that I have it with me in an iPod at all times because I'm a professional music journalist and you never know when you're going to need to know what the name of that song by that band was in 2003. And you may think to yourself, Spotify does that. But that's not true because I cover independent music and many of the bands on my iPod it broke up before Spotify even existed <laughs> and were never on labels. So perhaps I'm in a special use case on some parts of this. But in other parts of this, I'm not in a special use case. In that, on my Facebook, I have 30 comments right now of people who are mourning the death of the iPod Classic. Now, this may be selection bias in that I'm generally going to have more people who love music in higher volumes because I am a professional music critic. But still, this is not something that people are just like, oh, yeah, gone. Though, of course, it depends on I, – I think there is some of that selection bias because my response – despite having a similarly sized library to Stevens, was, oh yeah, it's gone. Of course, that thing's been dying for years. They don't sell any of those anymore. Which uh, is not necessarily true, but... They don't sell many of those anymore. <laughs> I, I can handle that. <laughs> uh, you know, I have many, many gigabytes of music on my computer, but most of my listening is done on my computer, and what isn't done that way i can get through itunes match uh and you can do the same with google play music you can do the same with amazon streaming etc streaming isn't a be-all and end-all solution to the problem Stephen has but for me that has solved the issue so i think there's a large segment of people for whom this was a non-announcement in that it literally was not an announcement in fact there was a a reference to this very issue on another podcast I listened to a while back when they said, well, is it going to be this year? Because I keep expecting it to be every year that they cut it at the uh, the next major event because Apple's cycles tend to be 
you know, quietly update their store with music related mm-hmm. things at this event in the fall. And well, they updated their store and they didn't include the iPod Classic. So there are a lot of things I dislike about the decision to cancel the iPod Classic, some of which are personal, some of which are professional, some of which have to do with the long-term effects of the iPod on society, some of which have to do with long-term effects of streaming. I have a lot of reasons for this. So one, I don't like the idea that I can't get an MP3 player that has more than 64 gigs uh, from Apple, partially because Apple destroyed the market. And I will explain that in a minute. Two, personally, I don't like the idea that I have to stream what I previously owned. Um, Streaming costs money, costs data. Data costs money. And I don't want to have to pay again to somebody who isn't the musician to use the things I already own. That's stupid. Thirdly, the iPod was a kind of marker of how people consumed music in the early 2000s. And it was kind of a showcase spotlight on how people uh, used music, how they listened to it. And it had a lot of cultural applications. It was a kind of a touchstone. And so seeing that touchstone go by the wayside is one very obvious and clear marker that something new is happening. And I don't like that particular something new. We've seen this coming for a while, like Chris said, but still there's, there's worthy mourning when something dies especially when it is, you know, the last 15 years of your career. And finally, I don't like the idea that everything belongs in the cloud and is being forced to the cloud when we know that the cloud is both unsafe and can have anything that's purchased and stored in the cloud revoked, as we saw with the 1984 Kindle problem. So we are fundamentally going from a situation where I purchase a thing and I store it and I hold on to it and I use it to a situation where I kind of rent a thing and I store it in somebody else's rented space and then they charge me to use that thing. I think my case is pretty pretty solid on that point. That's a way crappier situation than the first situation in terms of amount of money you have to expend to use the thing that you already own. Yeah, and I mean we've talked a lot over – previous conversations not on the podcast about how neither of us are particularly fans of Spotify, etc. as the future of the music industry, mostly because of that very issue of the inability to own it. Now, of course, it's worth remembering that the notion of owning a recording of music is itself a very modern invention on the scale of the time of human existence. I mean, the last century-ish, and really for your average middle-class person, much shorter even than that. But it was but a really the, nice thing. <laughs> and it's a really good invention, and I really it's liked a, it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I feel it slightly uh, sad in the sense of watching this kind of piece of history go. As I listened to you wax eloquent about the early 2000s, etc., I couldn't help but think, it sounds like the iPod Classic belongs in a museum now. And that's not very nice. But... Yeah. It, in in some sense, that is kind of the direction we're heading, where this will be no longer the thing that people do, but rather that thing that people did. And it will be in museums of technology from the early mm-hmm. 21st century. Yeah. And that's kind of a strange and interesting thought. Uh, we joked a few weeks ago about technology moving in basic, basically dog years. And if you yeah. think about it that way, Stephen's 
eight-year-old iPod is like a 56-year-old one. And the introduction of the original iPod Classic in 2001 is far older than that. You're, yeah, it's like you 98 know. years old, it's almost 100. <laughs> yeah. And so things have changed and things have moved. I think in terms of legitimate critiques to offer of Apple here, one, hey, guys, maybe you should offer more than 64 gigs on your iPod Touch. Yeah, that I mean, would solve this problem fairly handily and give Stephen new capabilities while he was at it. Yeah, even if I would be grumpily resistant of the fact that it has to be like pastel colored, but whatever. <laughs> hey, you can get a white one. It's probably pastel white. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but, uh, you know, there's a there's a legitimate critique to be made there that generally speaking with most of the other pieces of technology Samsung or Apple or anyone else has introduced each time they're bringing out something new and retiring something old, they're increasing your capabilities along the way. Yeah. And along almost all axes, the iPod Touch is more capable than the iPod Classic. That's fairly that's, undeniable. That's true. But there's, there, there is one axis in which it is not more capable, and that's the storing lots of music. And that's important. Yeah, and I think it's partially because they're like, yeah, no one stores that much music anyway anymore. False. <laughs> and... and and this kind of takes us to, you know, we, we made the distinction between any and many earlier. And yeah. here we're at the distinction between no one and not many. Yeah. So it's, to me personally, I am one person and I have friends who are also one person. Maybe there are 50 of us, 100, maybe even 1,000 of us, you know, who are very invested in the iPod classic. Um, you know, and to Apple, that's not enough to actually keep making an iPod classic, to right. make a single-use type of thing, to make this clunky, essentially, <laughs> that that's, you know, this single-use clunky type thing, there's not enough of us to keep it running, apparently. That's what they think. Now, the problem from a organizational standpoint is that Apple so entirely cornered the market on single-use MP3 players, that there aren't any good alternatives. There right. are none. Zero. Like, you can technically buy them, but if you could name one of them right now, you're probably in my hundred friends. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's just the way it is. Like You're probably you know, also listening to high-fidelity audio or something yeah. else strange like that. Yeah, and if you're, t if you're waving your Zune in my face, I don't even want to know you. Um, <laughs> no, so, they stopped selling those, so don't worry. Okay. Uh, so there's just not a good alternative because they crushed the market, which, you know, their, their thing was great. Of course they would win the market. Right. So it's disappointing to me when they decide, eh, this whole market is now useless to us because <laughs> it's not useless to everyone. There's a segment of people that would be able to use this tool if they could offer it, but they're such a giant corporation that they have no economy of scale to work with you know, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 people. Now, you know, maybe there will be a startup that says, hey, we're making the U-Pud. <laughs> and I would buy the U-Pud. And maybe that's what's going to happen, is that this niche will get filled because capitalism, yay. Um, but be because, you know, this niche might get filled, we can't say that it's definitively dead. But it's just frustrating to me that if you win and – entire market share, it feels disingenuous 
from a personal perspective, not from a business perspective, mm-hmm. which we'll get to in a minute. But it feels disingenuous from a personal perspective to just kill a whole market sector because you were tired right. of it. Right. And now you're saying, but the iPod Touch, that serves a slightly different population. Mm-hmm. It, it just does. It takes data. You know, it takes the Internet. And I kind of like the fact that my iPod was just an iPod. You know, yes, airplane mode. I can make my iPod Touch into just an iPod, whatever. The point is is not that the iPod Touch is like an iPod Classic. My my problem is with the word like. It's not the same. And right. there's there's value to me in having that particular thing. Right. And I, I think that's a, an entirely understandable perspective. The trick is... If you are Apple, how can you afford to keep doing it as the number of people drops and drops and drops? And this is the other side of the coin. You know, mm-hmm. Stephen and I were talking about this and kind of having a friendly argument about it before we started recording. From Apple's perspective, there's no upside in the long term to continuing to do this. You have multiple points of pain involved in doing it. You have software updates. You have hardware production and, in theory, maybe updates, though at this point they hadn't updated the hardware in a couple of years. Uh, but even just the production of the hardware and keeping the software up to date, et cetera, so that it continues to sync with iTunes as iTunes updates. Mm -hmm. And we are all hoping that iTunes continues to get updated and upgraded because that's good for everybody because iTunes Mm -hmm. historically was terrible at times. And And so you've got this continuous, it is getting better. I've got the iTunes 12 beta running and it's much better. But, you know, you've got this continual sync of resources and investments into you know, what's essentially a dying market, if not already dead. And certainly on the scale that Apple or any company like it is doing business, you know, when you're Mm -hmm. selling millions and millions of iPhones every time you, I mean, millions of iPhones in the iPhones in the first week they come out Yeah. versus, we don't know the numbers, but the number of iPod classic models sold in the last year is probably less than the number of iPhones sold last week. I mean, just rough guess. Mm-hmm. And so there's this tension for, you know, us as consumers versus what makes good business sense. I mean, the move makes totally good business sense. Of course, they were going to kill this. As we said earlier, the question was not from looking at it in an objective business sense. The question was never if, but when. And so this is what's difficult to me about this issue, but just basically all of life in the corporate era is that if Apple were a small company that only made the iPod, you know, I would really be supporting them. I would make, you know, donate money so that they don't exist, kickstart, crowdfund, whatever, because this is a corporation that's important to me if it were just the makers of the iPod. But as Apple, <laughs> like, they don't care about me and I don't care about them. Like, they're a giant corporation and I'm a human being. Like, there's there's no relationship between us. And apparently there's even less of a relationship right. than there was before because now the only thing I like of theirs they have said, we disown this. And so it's it's really difficult to be like a human being in the corporate era because your opinion really doesn't matter to, you know, what's going on. And, you know, and that's a crappy feeling when you're like, this thing that I use every day of my life is now deemed unimportant on a macro scale, but that doesn't diminish it at all in how important it is to me on a micro scale like it's probably the piece of technology i use the most next to my laptop 
one of the things that particularly stands in tension here, it seems to me, is the fact that because of what the iPod is, the only way it ever really could have come into existence at scale and therefore affordably to have a 160 gig hard drive sitting in your pocket from which you can play whatever music you want was for it to be made by a ginormous corporation with the kind of incredible scale capabilities that Apple has. And there were never a lot of bespoke little companies running around making these kinds of devices because they're hard and expensive and they involve enormous technical investment and so on. And so you run up against this conflict between, you know, the inevitable business concerns of large corporations, Apple or whomever else. Apple's our stand-in representative today because they're the ones that crushed Stephen's soul. But this really applies to everyone. <laughs> yeah, it does. But uh, the flip side of that is that's one of the things that we're essentially saying we, we have to live with at some level because the iPod wouldn't exist without it. And so here's a device that's going away that makes Stephen sad because it's going away perfectly reasonably. As he said, that distinction at the micro and macro level is valuable. Mm -hmm. But the device couldn't exist to have provided him that intense personal enjoyment without the corporate entity existing there. Especially in you know 2001 or right. 2006 or 2009, whenever I got this particular iPod, I mean... I'm guessing it's eight years old. I literally have no idea how long I've had this thing. Like it's, it's just a part of my life. Like, so it's that tension where in 2001, there was no way that a general startup could make an iPod. Right. Right. I mean, Apple I mean, blew everybody away with what they actually did with it. Yeah. I mean, there are, there were MP3 players before, uh, they weren't great, you know, but they existed. And so when iPod came around, it wasn't that it was the first, it was that it was the best one. It was the most well thought out, best conceived one. And so theoretically today, somebody could come up with a small business that traffics in 160 gigabyte hard drive music players. Um, and if you're out there, hit me up, dog. I want to know <laughs> about it. But, you know, when it came out, when it existed, when it changed the way that we view technology, they were only able to do it because they were huge. And that's a debatable claim, but that's a claim I'm making. So there, there is that tension there that what the corporation giveth, the corporation can take it away. But it's still crappy when you look at your iPod and you say, all your friends are dying. <laughs> I hope oh, you live long. I hope you live long and prosper. Because that's a, a tension there. And that's something that's un kind of resolvable, un fixable, I guess. There's no way to bridge this this difficulty between I love the iPod. And it's it's worth saying that like I wasn't planning on buying a new iPod anytime soon. I only <laughs> am incensed because if at some point I do need to buy another iPod, because iPods are excellently made, they don't actually break that often, which is awesome. So, you know, it's not even that I can begrudge them for for not selling them anymore because uh, I haven't bought one in like Five to eight years. That's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's a declining market if there ever was one. <laughs> so, right. Here, here are the people who love it most, and yeah. they still have the one they had six years ago. Yeah, because it just works right. So I don't know. It's a tough thing to deal with. And in the uh, age of, of planned obsolescence, we're not supposed to care about our technologies, right? You're supposed to just not have a relationship with your phone because you're going to have a new one in two years. It'll be obsolete. But 
you know, the iPod, even from the beginning, was kind of a cultural status thing. It was kind of a normative experience in music listening in the mid-2000s. It was the way we did things. And so there's more of a connection there on an emotional and personal level, even a human level, than with our phones, because we use our phones a lot more, but we have cultural expectations of them that are like, oh yeah, that's a thing, it's a tool, you use it, you're done with it, you get a new one. So, I mean, there are people who love their iPhones, but I don't think you can find people who love their iPhones in the same way that people loved their iPods. Right. I think there's something there because of something you mentioned earlier, which is the do one thing and do it extremely well approach that was taken with the iPod. And that's what they did. And your note about the iPod Touch, even if they bumped up and gave you a 256 gig flash hard drive, which they're not going to do. And flash hard drive is a contradiction in terms. So we'll ignore that and move on. Uh, (laughs) even Even if they give you a... 256 gig ssd it's still not a real replacement because it is it's like an iphone without the uh phone connection not a do one thing and do it extremely well just play my music awesomely right device it's something else yeah and i think that distributing all of the tasks over the iphone or the cell phone or whatever actually diminishes our relationship with any particular aspect of the phone as a piece of hardware so I have certain apps that I really love. I love Flipboard. Uh, Flipboard literally makes me happy in larger ratios than other things make me happy. <laughs> like, it's just, I love Flipboard. I, I like Lumosity. I love InkPad, of all things. I really just like InkPad. But I don't think of my phone in those terms, really. Like, I don't have any sort of, like, do you like your phone? I, I mean, I guess... Is this the part where I get to insert a snarky joke about you having an Android? No, it's not that funny. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It was just such a good setup there, man. Yeah. I was looking for a comeback, too, and I couldn't find one. <laughs> yeah, you and your iPhone. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I mean... The point stands, even if you have an iPhone, I don't think people are as addicted to it. And I might be wrong. You know, there are some people who really love their iPhones. But I don't know. It's it's a weird distinction between does everything, distributes your like of it over all the things versus does one thing, makes you love that one thing. Right. And I I do think there probably are more people who love their iPhones than love their LG 2s, just to pick a random Android phone out of the list of android phones that came Mm. to mind but Mm. i still think that you're right that there's a genuine appreciation for doing one thing extremely well in ways that you don't get for something that does many many more things even if it does all of those other things well because it's distributing that as you said yeah in terms of kind of takeaway uh, to keep it simple it's just recognizing those trade-offs And this is a theme we come back to fairly often, but I think it's an important one. We do have to recognize the trade-off we're making. We do have to recognize that when we buy that iPod, we're we're making that bargain of, okay, I'll buy into your corporate world here, but also be aware that as, again, as you put it earlier, what the corporate overlord giveth, the corporate overlord (laughs) may taketh away. (sighs) Oh, man. Yeah, and I think there's also something to be said for how we deal with 
losing technologies Mm -hmm. and like i'm struggling with the words here because this is not something we think about that often like it's not like obsolescence other than when we make fun of planned obsolescence like obsolescence is a weird phenomenon that Mm -hmm. is gonna happen to us throughout our lives you know and this has happened to many other people r.i.p typewriters but it's kind of a difficult thing because you don't necessarily think about or articulate how you relate to an object that often. So like I didn't have any waxing eloquent moments over my iPod in the last two years, but as soon as someone took it away, I was like, what, 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 what? Like I sent an all caps message to Chris that was just no (laughs) going on for like five lines. Like I had this deeply visceral response because I just don't, we don't deal with that that often. We don't have this, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, so I, I think thinking about our relationship to our technology and our tools and, and being aware of how we feel about things, which mm-hmm. we've also come back to before, like being aware of, of our relationships to things and how they impact us. I think that's important. And I think that it's even on some basic level, I was taking my iPod for granted. And I think there are sort of two diverging but both important points to remember here. And one of them is they are just things and they can become things that consume us over much. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing here, but I think that's a tendency against which we do have to guard. We, Mm -hmm. We do not want to become materialistic in that way and we do not want things to own us. We Mm -hmm. want to own them and be in control of our emotions. But on the other hand, to remember that we're embodied beings and physical things are good and iPods Mm -hmm. iPods are are good things. They were made Mm -hmm. well and they're beautiful and well-designed and they did what they were supposed to well. There is a a genuine and entirely valid, I think, sorrow at, oh, this good thing is going to go out of the world in some sense. It's not Mm -hmm. going, there aren't going to be any new ones and eventually all the existing ones will break except the one they stick in the Smithsonian and maintain fastidiously for a decade. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's it's important to remember that we shouldn't be over concerned with this, but it's also a real thing. There there is some element of emotion that goes along with dealing with something every day of your life and that can't be just trivially cast aside. One last thought. Mm. If you get a chance to support a super great product from a small company, you might take it. Do it. Because your chances of having a real ongoing relationship with that company are they're gonna be a bit higher. Yeah. For sure. For sure. As always, all of our content is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. That means you could chop this up into itty-bitty little pieces, play them all backwards, and call it music, and that'd be fine as long as you say you got the music from us. On that note of music, the opening track was Carrie Oceans by Montoya. That's not uh, Creative Commons. Um, That is all rights reserved to the band. So let them know before you use it. If you would like, you can follow us on app.net, Twitter, or Facebook, and subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, or whatever you want to call those apps. And I think that's it. Yeah. Until next time, I've been Chris Kreicho. I am and will be Stephen Caradini. Thanks for listening. That should be the title of the episode. That's totally going to be the title of the show. (laughs) Because capitalism, yay.